You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey everybody, Tim McMaster here along with Jordan Bastion, our MLB.com Indians reporter as spring training uh, chugs away. We're getting closer and closer, less than three weeks, I think, or right around three weeks until opening day. Hard to believe. Uh, and you're back down there in Arizona now, Jordan. I want to talk a lot about the pitching on this podcast, but we'll also get to the other side of the battery with the catchers. And we'll do some injury updates and all that stuff. But let's start with Mike Clevenger, who has been really good this spring so far. Uh, was really good last time out, three scoreless, hitless innings, and he struck out six, and he has seemingly uh, punched his ticket into this rotation as far as opening day goes, as long as he stays healthy, right? Yeah, and I think Terry Francona said basically as much this week. Um, I think once Danny Salazar's situation kind of came up, once we saw he was dealing with the shoulder issue and he was a couple weeks behind, it became pretty clear uh, that that, what we thought was going to be a pretty big competition, you know, kind of came down to Clevenger and looks like Josh Tomlin for those last two spots. So, you know, this isn't, uh, even if there were a competition, you know, I think Clevenger kind of had earned the right to enter the season on that staff. Very impressive last year, took a lot of strides forward. The guy looks like he's built to log a lot of innings. And, you know, as you noted, he's pitching well this spring, but, you know, the Indians aren't a team and I don't think many teams are, these days who are looking at spring pitching lines when they're making decisions. Um, they're looking more at, you know, what his pitchers are doing, what type of hitters he's facing, is he filling up the strike zone, you know, what type of pitches is he throwing in certain counts, situations, um, and just also the makeup of the roster, what makes the most sense. And when you look at all those factors right now, Mike Clevenger is in a really good position, and I think the Salazar issue just sort of cemented his place on that starting staff. Yeah, I think Clevenger makes sense to be number four. You mentioned Tomlin. Um, is, is that mm-hmm. clean cut at this point, or does Ryan Merritt still have a shot at that number five job? Well, I mean, out of respect to, to Ryan Merritt and his situation, he's out of options. Yeah, I think Terry Francona hasn't come right out and named a fifth starter, but you know, we asked him about it today, and he said, you know, I don't think there's really a competition for the five spots, and he mentioned track record. Well, that kind of points to Josh Tomlin. He's the longest tenured member of the organization. Uh, He's a guy that's been a starter, a guy that they just picked up his option for next year, guy that's pitched in the playoffs, uh, one of the most respected guys within that clubhouse. He really That's his job to lose, I think. I think with Ryan Merritt right now, though, it is an interesting situation, as we've discussed before on this podcast, that being out of options and being kind of the next man up for that staff uh, it kind of puts the Indians in a in a tough spot where they have to figure out if they want to try and keep Ryan Merritt. You know, do you carry him in the bullpen? Uh, do you look at the early season schedule where maybe you don't need five starters out of the shoot? You know, do you put him and Tomlin both in the bullpen to open the season to try and keep him? You know, there's different scenarios that are going to be in play. But as we sit here today, I mean, that really looks like that's Josh Tomlin's spot. But there's still, as you mentioned, three weeks left to go of spring baseball. A lot of things can happen. So. Terry Fragona's not going to come out today and name his roster knowing that, 
you know, you're always one injury away from the entire dynamic of the roster changing. Yeah, and we've seen the one injury already with Danny Salazar. Uh, right. He won't be ready to go, as we've mentioned, for the start of the season. His shoulder inflammation, I guess he's throwing from 90 feet again. Um, how, con- how much concern is there that this could be something that lingers longer? Yeah, I think the concern is that he's had a bunch of injuries over the last couple years that have led to seasons that include a lot of starting and stopping. And I think when when they're sort of looking at his career, you know, maybe Dennis Salazar is a guy that you can't rely on for 200 innings. Maybe it's 150. Maybe it's a little less than that. And if he's already feeling something in his arm, what's the best way to situate, you know, kind of position the roster so that they're best suited to get him the most out of him for the season coming up? So if that means taking things conservatively in spring, uh, kind of solving that rotation situation for opening day between Clevenger and Tomlin and Merritt and him, uh, and knowing that he could be available in season and potentially avoid an injury setback in season, I think that's what the Indians want to try to do. So it's not something they're going to come out and say, hey, we're protecting him now because we can only count on 150 innings at some point this year or less than that. But I think that's the approach that makes the most sense you know, for the Indians to take. Let's switch over to catching for a moment. And the Indians have a, a great position, but I think if you if you kind of talk to the, the random baseball fan about best catching situations in baseball, the Indians wouldn't come up quickly with Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez. But it's one of those situations where the, uh, I guess, the combined abilities of the two is is solid over another team where maybe has a great catcher and, and not so great a backup. But you look at the numbers from 2017, uh, 22 combined homers, 94 RBIs combined. That's good stuff, and and that's not even what the Indians rely on these guys for. It's all about the defense with both Gomes and Perez more than anything they can give with the bat. Um, are they underrated? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the RBIs go, they're hitting lower in the lineup, and you know, obviously the Indians had a great lineup last year. It's a fun statistic to see where they ranked in, in run production, uh, but RBIs is obviously so dependent on what the guys are doing in front of them. What the Indians love about Roberto Perez and Jan Gomes, you know, the offensive side, if they produce, it's a bonus. They're in the lower third of the lineup. These are not guys that they're hoping go into the year as, as being leaned on as run producers. Even though Jan Gomes has a silver slugger in his trophy case where he showed that potential several seasons ago, and Roberto Perez has good on-base ability, what they love is the fact that the Indians have arguably the best pitching staff top to bottom in the American League, and a big part of that is because of the rapport that that staff has built with these two catchers. And on top of what they can do game-calling-wise, Roberto Perez ranks as one of the best pitch framers in the game. Both of them rank as uh, two of the top guys at throwing out base runners. And Terry Francona will mention it, the Indians are a team that rarely pitches out, and that's because of uh, the strength that they have with their catchers. It's even to a point with a guy like Josh Tomlin, who's so good at fielding his position and being quick to the plate, combined with the strength of those catchers' arms, that Terry Francona has even said that they're planning on experimenting with when a runner's on first with Tomlin pitching, even having the first baseman playing behind the runner to kind of take that hole away. You don't do that if you have catchers that you aren't confident um, can throw out runners if guys are getting big leads in that type of situation. So there's little nuances within the game that they're impacting, whether it's uh, you know framing a, a strike that might have been a ball, or you know controlling the running game, or not having to worry about pitch outs and things like that. 
I wouldn't say they're underrated. I think their reputation is pretty sound around the game, but I think the Indians are definitely fortunate to be in a situation where you have two number one caliber type defensive catchers, guys that you're not worrying about, oh, we need this pitcher to be matched up with that catcher, or you know, we need to make sure one guy's playing seventy percent of the time, you know, versus yeah, this is this is gonna be kind of a, a timeshare situation with these two guys. We saw down the stretch Roberto Perez kind of garnered more of the innings uh, through August and September and into the postseason, and maybe that's what you're going to see going into this year. But whether or not it's Jan Gomes or Roberto Perez doing the bulk of the catching, you know, the Indians are in a, in a good position. Yeah, absolutely. Jason Kipnis continues to be on fire, eight for 14, five homers this spring. Um, yeah. Has he adjusted anything to for to be a reason for this power, or is he just swinging the bat well early in spring training and the balls flying out of the park? It's going to be a combination always. Uh, I mean, the ball flies in Arizona. Yeah. I think he came into camp very confident, uh, very healthy, and kind of showing, you know, looking to prove something for after a tough offseason. I wouldn't say uh, Kipnis has made any drastic adjustments to his swing. I just think he's off to a good start. Uh, sometimes you see that in these spring environments. You know, it's a positive sign, um, especially for a veteran guy who Terry Fergon has pointed out multiple times already this spring that guys like Jason Kipnis, Lindor, Ramirez, you know, Edwin Encarnacion, sometimes you don't see these guys find their swings until late in camp because they're playing every other day early on in the first couple weeks. You know, sometimes it's the non-roster guys or the minor leaguers who get their swing going early because they're getting more of the at-bats at the start of camp. So the goal is to get the veterans feeling their comfort comfort in their swing when you're getting closer to opening day. It's obviously a positive sign for Kipnis that even through sporadic playing time through the first couple of weeks, he's been able to kind of have this consistent stroke and you know show this power. And uh, you know it's, you're always going to look for positives, and it all resets to zero when you get to opening day. But for the for the type of off season that he just went through. Um, and the season that he's coming off last year, I mean, that's a huge positive for Kipnis to go into the season on having this type of spring training. One more thing for you really quick. Uh, Mike Napoli is back. Party at Napoli's returns to uh, to Arizona, at least. I don't know if it'll return to Cleveland or not. But this seems like a situation, it's a minor league deal um, where they're, they're helping him out. Obviously, I don't know if there's a roster spot for him, but he's going to get some at-bats and maybe prove himself to another possibility out there, right? It almost seems like they're just helping out a guy that helped them out so much over the years in Cleveland. Yeah, I think this sort of speaks again to the character of Terry Francona and some of the guys in the Indians' front office. Mike Napoli means a lot to those guys for what he did for the team in 2016. He means a lot to the players in the clubhouse. And I think they sort of just felt for him. He was in that camp in Bradenton, Florida, with the other free agents, you know, trying to uh, simulate a spring training environment, you know, while trying to get a job. And I think the Indians felt, you know, it wouldn't hurt to bring him into camp here, have his veteran presence and leadership around uh, for the younger players, give them an, a, another veteran to sort of watch and and learn from. Also puts Napoli in a room where he's already has relationships and friendships with a lot of these players so he can have a more enjoyable time in a spring training environment. And on top of that, he's getting at bats in spring training games uh, where there's scouts in the stands and, and things like that so he can 
more legitimately audition for a potential job with another team. And then the other layer to that is, heaven forbid something were to happen to Yonder Alonso or Edwin Encarnacion, you've got a veteran experienced big leaguer sitting there on a non-roster deal who could provide that layer of depth if you wound up in that type of situation as you closed in towards opening day. So I think there's a variety of, of sort of layers to it, but you're right. I mean, this was just sort of a class move by the Indians uh, to bring Napoli in, get him in this type of environment, kind of as a favor, but also, like I said, if like a prospect, first base prospect like Bobby Bradley, you know, can spend any time with Mike Napoli in the batting cages and soak an ounce of information from him, the Indians see that as a benefit. You know, and if that's what helps uh, out of this for the organization, you know, then they look at it as a win. Great stuff, Jordan. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Indians edition. For Jordan Bastion, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.